At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, PNC's Jeff Mills, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Stocks hitting a record high today with energy and tech leading the way. And a top technician will tell you how to catch this rally. Plus, one name sitting out the party, Tesla. Goldman Sachs slashing its price target on the stock. It's June rally coming to a screeching halt. We will tell you what has this analyst so worried. But first, we are back. A record-breaking day. The S&P surging to an all-time high, wiping out its May losses, and the Dow on track for its best month since October 2015. Less than 1% away from its record high as it sets it on Wall Street that the uh, Federal Reserve is likely to cut rates as soon as next month. So with stocks back at record highs, do you trust in the Fed? and keep pressing that buy button. Guy. Well, the answer is no, but can I just quickly just say a couple sure. things. I know it's wedding season now as the summer progresses. Don't use this song. Are you, Thank you, Mel. You're you in my head. I'm it's amazing she's in I my know. head. Crazy. If you're thinking about playing this song, don't do Literally, it. Really, there's no circumstance under which the song should be played Never. at all. Sounds like, sounds like he played this at his wedding. No, I didn't, funny But man. anyway. And we are family is the other one. Back it's to the record high. Yeah, I mean, label me skeptical. And listen, let's go back a couple months. And I thought the S&P would get down to 26.50, got down to 27.30. So I was off by about 4% there. I never thought we'd be back to all-time highs. Here we are. I understand why it's happening. And quite frankly, the reasons don't matter. If the market went up and you were long, you made money. And that's the bottom line. But I will tell you, label me skeptical with... 24% 24% of global sovereign bonds now with negative yields, with gold making a five-year high, seemingly breaking out to the upside, with utilities making all-time highs, with every asset on the planet seemingly going higher. You have to ask yourself, is the Fed fighting the wrong battle? And I say absolutely yes. And you know what else? I think they know it, but they've been forced into it. Guy, favorite, uh, favorite TV Allman show with, with a boat and oh a shipwreck? Gosh. Happy days. Oh. Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. Yeah, of course Fav- it is. Favorite woman on Gilligan's Mary Island. Ann. Oh, not Tina Louise. Okay, the reason I bring this up, because you talk about $12 trillion in, 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 in negative yielding bonds, there is no alternative. We can start using that Tina phrase again for stocks, because what is really the, the, the multiple that the S&P should trade at if you actually have yields in negative territory? I mean, I think you have a place here where, and I don't think you should count out the Fed ever. In fact, that's been the whole dynamic of the last eight years. So um, for a Fed that, that probably exceeded all expectations yesterday, I'm not saying you shouldn't be structurally cautious, but you could be tactically optimistic here. And there's very little reason why you shouldn't be. Really? Very little reason. I mean, listen, when you think structurally about Structurally cautious, I okay, but, but tactically optimistic. Last two rate um, cutting cycles that the Fed really engaged in back in 2000, Fed funds was above 6%, 2007 is above 5%. Here we are at two and a quarter or just below two and a half or something like that. So when you think about when we went into those rate cutting cycles, what happened? The S&P 500 got cut in half both times, you know, from the highs here. So here we are. We know where inflation is and we know that the Fed is supposedly concerned about inflation where it is right now. They're really concerned about global growth when you think about it. So we're going to start cutting rates right now. And don't think that maybe it's just 
25 bips. It may be 50 bips. I mean, I, I know that was a big discussion yesterday. So what do you think equity is going to do at these all-time highs where we've been in January 2018, sold off hard 12%, and then obviously Q4 last year, sold off 20%, and then we just had this, what, 5 6 7% sell-off from those highs also? That's true, but I do think there's a difference between now and 2001, 2007. Both of those rate cut cycles were recession cycles. imminent. So we were going right into a recession. I know we're probably getting sick of hearing it about the, at this point, but you look at 85, 95. These were periods where the S&P actually rose because we weren't heading directly into a recession. So it seems too easy, but I do think the Fed's going to cut rates. Look at what gold's doing. Philly Fed was weak this morning, so I think they have covered a cut in July. I don't know that they should. We can talk about whether they should or shouldn't, but I think they will, and I think that's enough to support multiples and push the market but Jeff, higher in the near term. Isn't that your point? You're not so, you're not sure that they should, but they're going to. Correct, um, and, and that's all that matters. Us there. And so, Dan, your points are totally valid. I don't. I, I've said for the last month, I don't think two rate cuts is anything to get bullish about, but I, I don't think this is a, a rate cutting cycle. I don't think it's required. Uh, I think you have a dynamic. You can make an argument that the long end of the curve below 2% today is an inflation story. You don't and think it's a rate-cutting cycle. Sorry to interrupt you. You don't think it's a rate-cutting cycle in that you don't think that they will cut or you don't think that one cut will lead to another cut? which will lead uh, to I think this is fine-tuning right now, a policy that got overly tight. Um, and I, I'm not telling you that I think that the global economy is... I, I see all the structural things we all see right now. I'm telling you that I don't think that the Fed right now should be in a position where they're going to have to cut three or four times in the next couple of years. In fact, I don't think that the market's telling you that either. No, the market, I mean, well, the, well, the markets are predicting it. So they are telling you that. They're, t- they're, telling, they're telling you two right. rate cuts um, between now the and the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. We had a guest on Power Lunch today. Love that Chris show. Kumar. It's on, I believe it's on from one or two it's to three. Two to three. Yes. yes two to, nice job. Um, and he was predicting that the t- and he's been right on yields. When the yield, when the yield was at 2.7% earlier this year, um, he said yields were definitely going to two. And we went beyond Here we are. Two. Here we are. Here we are. So Shri Kumar was right. Good for him. He now predicts one and a half percent. So in theory, that should pave the way for higher equity valuations. But at what point do rates get low yeah, where well, it, it doesn't? That's a great question. I thought we're past that point 50 basis points ago. So clearly I was wrong. And I'm not an economist. I say it all the time. I'm not smart enough and I'm not humorless enough to be an economist. But again, you know, you're getting to levels now where what are the what's the bond market telling you? What's the gold market telling you? In my opinion, gold market tells you, hey, Fed, there is inflation out there. And guess what? If they think they can somehow turn on a dime when they finally do get it, they are entirely wrong. I mean, if you listen to Tom Farley, another Georgetown grad that was just on Power Lunch, another fantastic CNBC show. Closing bell. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, closing bell. Anyway, go on. What you said. He said, Sarah Eisenhower, should they be cutting? No. As a matter of fact, they shouldn't be cutting. I think he went as far to say maybe they should be hiking. And I know that sounds preposterous, but if you can continue to do the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different outcome, uh, you know what that's the uh, definition of. And that's what's happened for the last 10 years. And yes, asset prices have gone higher, but the economy hasn't gotten any better. So so if the Fed's going to cut to generate inflation, why didn't we get a bit of inflation for 10 years of like basically zero rates? And if you look at where, you know, they like to look at um, inflation X, the volatile food and energy sort of thing, we're at 1.6%. Look at where if we get those two cuts in 2019, we're basically going to be at zero again, real rates, right? So what are we doing here? I mean, 
where's the crisis? If, if, if everything we're hearing out of unemployment, there out of There can't growth, be an insurance where, cut? Is there I, not a case I, for an insurance I think everybody can be right here. I hate to play Switzerland, but I think there can be a dynamic where markets can go a little... No, I'm certainly not saying I think we're going to 3,500 anytime soon. What I'm telling you is that in the short run, there's still a lot of pessimism. I think the, the long-short community is still very net short. I think you have a dynamic where the Fed is not your enemy right now. I think trade policy, uh, it probably could get worse, but I bet it could also get better going into an election cycle. That's, that's the setup. We know earnings are going to be poor. We know equities need to trade a higher multiple. Uh, we're seeing actually the def- deflationary spiral around the world at least be halted temporarily. That's good for equities. And that's what it is. It's a multiple story. So if they cut, maybe they shouldn't be cutting, but it's enough to bolster multiples in the near term. And even if earnings come in, say we get to 168 a share, they probably earnings estimates probably come down. We probably have a beat rate. We get to 168. If we maintain the current trailing 12-month multiple where we are right now at 18 and a half, it gets us to 3,100. It's not exciting. It's 5% from here, but it is higher. Over the long term, I think you'd have problems, but multiples are bolstered in the near term. Why do you guys think that um, small caps just don't confirm this high? They don't even get going. They don't even break the few-month high where if you look at the Russell 2000, the IWM's ETF that tracks it, I mean, it is stuck in a range. It doesn't break out. It's still 8%, I think, from its all-time highs last year. So you got that. You got banks. Obviously, we know the, the, the yield curve is, is an issue here, but the banks can't really get going here. I see a lot of things that just suggest that this is very much about an S&P trading at 16, 16 and a half times, which seems cheapish relative to where rates are. So you're going to rip the S&P. You're going to rip bonds. We had Leon Cooperman this morning on the network with another fine show, sure. Spock and Friends, talking about how when you have, um, you know, what? When you have interest rates right here, it's the only game in town for stock. So, um, why so I'm not sure we what had, you're saying. Why haven't we had Tina Louise? Th- Tina Louise. Why, why haven't we had Louise. Why hasn't your fang? Why isn't that my fang? Hang well, the, the new highs here. There's just a lot of stuff going on that just seems like it's just this trade in the S and P 500, and they're pushing it up, and everything else doesn't. Well, we are talking about the market here. We're not really talking about stocks, although we often do. Um, so, it, what I hear you saying is, though, why shouldn't it go higher? What I'm um, saying and is and that I'm saying that maybe some of the things that were historically the leadership, that narrow leadership that at times you've nailed has been too narrow and it's yeah. actually given back. And Fang was that. I mean, Fang is not leading this. You're right. And utilities are. And, and, and so is healthcare, So are defensive. But, but rotation is part of this market as well. And, and just to, to say that the market can't continue to move a little bit higher because um, we all are not happy that the Fed has to step in and do what it's done for the last 10 years, it's largely worked. Yeah, but, but going back to the negative rates, okay, so why do we have $12 trillion in sovereign negative rates? Because you have all these central banks that are actually worried about a deflationary cycle. We don't really feel that way here in the U.S., yet we are following them in that same path. If that path is going to push the S&P 500 to unsustainable levels, lacking growth, and then we do eventually have a financial crisis that may emanate here or somewhere else, then we're really screwed. Then we are I'm in not, a situation just like those past I'm not two feeling cycles great about, where about the S&P the toolbox 500 right now. gets cut in half. And if it goes right. from 3,200 yeah. down to 1,600, you know where that was? That was the top in 2000. Okay. It was the top in 2007. And then you get back. That's brilliant support, people. All that 1,600, said, the S&P 500. All that said, it was very well said. Where do you stand on the markets? Are you short? Are you long? Listen, are you, where are you? I, I actually think there's some really interesting spots here. So to me, like, um, I, you know, semis uh, is an area that I think you can sell. Um, I think you can sell the XLF. The XHB, that's the um, the ETF that tracks home builders, it's at a really, really important level here. Some would say if you're bullish, it looks like a head and shoulders bottom. Um, to me, I think the data has been kind of mixed there. I think you probably... Uh, short that against levels. If you're trying to short stuff, if you're trying to be opportunistic, the opportunities in this market have been when the, the market has corrected. So if you're going to play 
for a breakout to new all-time highs after we've already come all this distance, I don't think you're going to get much. And that's why when you said 3,100, fine, have a ball. Go from 2,950 to 3,100, grind it. You know what I mean? I don't Who said 3,100? Yep. Not you. I'm you not, having a ball? Always, I said so not exciting, but I think what I'm saying is, right. But it's not a fantastic risk-reward either when no, you consider the, the downdrafts that we've so, had over the last so 18 months. So why not? Let's, you know, maybe it's not fine, but, but why can't Apple continue to rally in a sideways environment where rates are cheap and they pay you 3% and the capital markets are live at work and it's a 10% weighting in almost every index. Why would Google uh, basically down 20% off the highs, maybe rallied back about 6% with a multiple that's about 22 times in an environment where they're not really hurt by trade wars? Why can't that rally? So we had rotation and stuff that really um, was underperforming and, and healthcare was, 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 had headline risk, et cetera. But look at some of those great companies. I look at great companies that have been underperforming here in a market where people have to reach out the risk curve and I, and I wonder why they aren't going to go buy them. All right. Well, we were just talking about the July cut. It's looking almost certain after the dovish comments by the Federal Reserve yesterday. Low rates usually mean cheap stocks. So let's take a look at the chart of the day. Jeff brought this along. and Ooh, I like that chart of the day. It means support for at least at least the short term. So this is a this is a perfect transition because it's exactly what we're talking about. Short term versus long term. So I've said it. Every strategist has probably said it. Low rates justify stock valuations where they are today. Is that true? And I say Sort of, because in the near term, I do think the equity risk premium, so the differential between basically stock valuations and the 10-year treasury, it's blown out to over 300 basis points. Typically, when you're in that bucket, forward stock returns for the next year are quite good because low rates are supporting multiples in the near term. I think the problem with this argument, what everyone tends to forget, is that low rates don't justify these low valuations for long-term investors. AQR put out a great paper a number of years ago, Fight the Fed Model. And they showed they broke interest rate regimes into quintiles. The lowest interest rate quintile had the worst 10-year forward returns by far. Because when people are forced out the risk curve, they often buy equities agnostic of price. Valuations go up, so you end up with long-term forward returns that are not good. Near-term, yeah, it's the only game in town. Rates are so low. But long-term, I think you might have a problem. So for our investors, we say you know, 60-40 may not be what it once was. So you have to reallocate your strategic asset allocations if you want to meet your longer-term return objectives because long-term we're in a low, a low interest rate environment, a low equity return environment, and low interest rates. Sorry, does that mean go 70-30? I'm, I'm trying to it might. Yeah. it might. I mean, it all depends, right? Because you have to work backwards from your goals. You can't say, well, I don't want to take that risk, so I'm going to take 60-40 and whatever it gives me, it gives me. So we have to work backwards from what do we think the access are actually going to be able to produce for you, and you get back to the risk and then you decide what you want to do. Maybe it involves introducing alternatives to the portfolio. There are different levers that you can pull, maybe more international. There are things that you can do, but you can't sit back on your laurels and think a 60-40 U.S. and it's ag the portfolio same way is going to work the same way. Right. In the near term, yes, but in the long term, no. Um, and I know that you didn't pen the study. It was an AQR study. But did it matter the, the peaks to trough in terms of interest rates? Because if we're sort of in an environment where interest rates are very muted and, and the, the range is in this tiny little band, will that, will that sort of change the outcome? It, it's hard to say. I almost think it makes it worse, though, because uh-huh. rates have been so low that it's pushed people into equities maybe more so than it ever has before. I mean, think about endowments, foundations, pension funds, all these institutions who have to meet these high return targets. They're pushing out into equities with rates so low. So, yes, you are in a band, and maybe you don't see that snapback to really high levels. So you could argue that we remain here for a long time and valuations remain higher than normal for a while, but that's not going to go on forever. 
So a couple, I think that's great. That chart is fantastic. I think everything you said is spot on. A couple things, and just one day does not a trend make. As you know, Mel, we've said that many times on this TV show, but the VIX on a day where the Dow was up 300 points was higher on the day, number one. Number two, what we didn't talk about for the first 14 minutes of the show magically is the fact that maybe maybe magically there's some U.S.-China trade deal happens over the next, I don't know, couple weeks. What does that do? Well, how does that change the calculus for the Fed? Are we in an environment where yeah. a potential deal Uh-oh. is actually a sell moment. bearish? Yeah. How about that? Think about that or, during the commercial. But or, yes, Mel. Or could it be a win-win? And, and then we play the that Chrissy at- Teigen song. Everything's The beautiful. Fed's not going to move. The trade deal happens tomorrow. The Fed is not going to change their stance anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. But I think that they'll remain dovish That's with the option. For sure. Because why not? Why not? They're not going to get hawkish overnight. Yeah. That's the point. Coming up, as the rally rages on, a top technician says there's more gains ahead. He will tell us the three names he's buying right now. Plus, Slack gets to work. The unicorn soaring after direct listing today. The traders tell you where they think the stock is heading next. And later, Beyond Meat stock has been healthy for investors, but how healthy are its products? The head of a consumer group launching a massive campaign warning that chemicals are lurking in the food. He will be here to make her case. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla shares heading downhill today after a bearish call from Goldman Sachs. That is our call of the day. Analysts leaving, saying, excuse me, while the electric automaker has some positive catalyst, demand for its Model S, X, and 3 are still below Wall Street expectations and is not sustainable at the current levels. The firm slashing its price target to 158 from 200 as the stock has surged 19% this month, its best performance since 2018. So is the July rally about to hit the skids? Tim, are you still short? I am. Um, and most of it's through options. And, and therefore, you know, I would make an argument that this is a decent this is a decent opportunity to get volatility to the short side. And but but here's what Goldman went out there and said. Um, Goldman is pointing out the demand side They're, They think second quarter deliveries are going to be OK. Uh, they think they pulled a lot of levers to get second quarter deliveries to a decent place. Um, what is a decent place, by the way? I mean, 90 to 100,000 is, is what this, I think the market needs to see uh, to get the 360 to 400 for the year, which I think is highly improbable. But, you know, what do we know? Um, but look, this is a company that you could pick three or four different tangents. The obvious one, which most equity investors don't really seem to care about, is the one that has to deal with corporate governance and, and transparency and forget all that. Um, it's really either about balance sheet and restructuring and how they get through. It's about demand or it's about operational excellence or lack thereof. Pick your poison. Um, I don't think any of these places are places that I would want to be long this stock. The, the second one, which is restructuring the balance sheet, I think is the one that worries me the most. Here's an interesting would you rather. Oh, I love this. This is my, one of my favorite. But this is a twist. So, you, so I don't know if it's going to be your favorite version of the game. Like a somersault with a twist. Would you rather fun. long or short Tesla here? Short. Knowing, knowing that in two weeks we're going to get delivery numbers. Short. And so what's okay. the like Friday or something, Tuesday, Thursday? What? Two days ago, Thursday, you we doing? talked about Tesla again. Two days and, ago. And two days ago was, was Thursday, Tuesday. 
Tuesday. That's what I said. Okay. Wow. And I said Carter Worth. I brought up Carter Worth. I said, remember Carter Worth a couple weeks sure. ago? He nailed it. He said, you go long Tesla here at a buck seventy-five, wherever it was. And he said the upside is two twenty-five or so. What did we talk about the other day? Pull on the ripcord if you were fortunate enough to carry that trade to those levels. And at least for a day and a half, it's proven to be correct. So to answer your question, absolutely. At least Goldman Sachs' timing is right this time. And I do think there's some downside risk. All right. For more on Tesla and all the big Wall Street calls today, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yep, that's what stocks did today. But if you missed the launch, don't worry. A top technician will give you three names to catch the ride. Plus, Apple's setting out the rally today. Sound the alarm. We'll tell you why the tech giant is warning things could be about to get a lot worse. There's much more Fast Money right after this. At the UPS Store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack-and-ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks surging to an all-time high, but not everything on Wall Street has joined in on the record rally. Bob Pisani is at the NYSC with the details. Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, the market is rightly celebrating all the new highs in the sectors and stocks that have gotten us there, including consumer staples doing great, discretionary, real estate, utilities, and some, not all, technology stocks. But there are wide swaths of the market that are really lagging significantly. So, for example, energy stocks, the small cap Russell 2000, and the Dow Transports, all more than 10% off of their 52-week highs. They're not joining in the party yet, but some subsectors are doing a lot worse. So tariffs and the global slowdown have been killing the metal and mining stocks. They're 25% off of their recent highs. Medicare for all, remember that one? That was just a killer for the pharmaceutical stocks. They're still 22% off of their recent highs. And then you have the tariffs and the relentless march of Amazon still killing retail, still down 20% from its highs. And then we've got the low rates. This is killing the banks. They're still 15% off of their highs. And finally, this might be a little surprise to some people, semiconductors are still in this group. They're 11% off their highs. Remember, they became the poster child for the trade wars, dropping nearly 20% in May alone at the height of the trade conflict. Since then, they've come back a little bit. So despite all these new highs, this rally is largely based on central bank euphoria and on trade euphoria, not on fundamentals. Earnings are going to be coming soon. I am looking forward to that. We will finally get a clearer indication of how real, if at all, that global slowdown really is. Back to you, Melissa. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSC. And Dana touched on these points, some of these points earlier in the discussion in that some sectors are not confirming this rally. Transports, uh, Russell. Small caps. Small, yeah. So how concerning, Jeff, in your view, is that? 
I mean, I, I do think it's concerning to some degree. But look, you have to think about where we are in the business cycle. PMIs have peaked. They're heading lower. They're still above 50. We would call this a slowing expansion phase of the cycle. Typically, what you would see lead during those periods are things like utilities, healthcare, growth sectors like technology. So what typically works at this phase of the business cycle is working. And I do think overall the market can still go higher as long as tech participates. But leadership might just shift a bit more to the defensive side. Yeah, um, but to Tim's point also, I think to get meaningful highs above where we are right now to break out and sustain these levels, I think you will need the MAGA or the FANG or that that sort of thing to to rotate back into that because that is where the torque is going to come. And from all of those in MAGA, other than Microsoft, they still have not made new highs. FANG, I don't think um, any of those have made new highs. So, you know, to me, that's where you're going to get the breakout if it's going to happen. In terms of things that have lagged or been the the ones that really underperformed on the way down, I, I still think if you expect expect the Fed to do what it's doing, if you expect the interest rate differentials to mean uh, the rest of the world's currencies won't be as under pressure, you have to be buying Germany here. You have to be buying emerging markets. You have to be buying uh, Alibaba, Tencent. How about Samsung? Um, so again, how about some of these mega cap tech names that really haven't even bounced with some of the rest of tech? Um, I, that's If you believe everything we started this show with, I think those are things that, that are absolutely catch up. And then I would go back to the, the interest rate sensitive side. If we think we're going to 150, you want to own Home Depot and Lowe's. You want to own uh, Restoration Hardware. You want to own Sherwin-Williams. I mean, these are, these are all plays on the consumer either getting a refi, having more money to throw at their house, and actually having ability to spend. So the market hitting record highs. What's left to buy? Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon. He's got three names. He says, can help you catch up to this rally. Hey, Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, first, let's just take a look at the S&P and see if this kind of triple, quadruple top is, uh, is, is vulnerable to be broken out. So uh, S&P is in blue. The put-to-call ratio, the OCC, all options, put-to-call ratio is down here. And what you'll see is the put-to-call ratio down around 0.7 to 0.6 is typically a point where you'd expect to see um, selling come into the, to the S&P. So take a look at uh, 17 here to the late 18, or sorry, early 18. Here we go. Low put-to-call, S&P tops out. Same thing, late 18 right there. Low put-to-call ratio about 0.6. S&P tops off. Right down here, we had a little sell-off here, a little bit, a little bit of sell-off. We came back here in 18. What you'll notice, though, is that put-to-call is not yet at those low levels. So we're not seeing enough put-buying to, to signal that people are afraid enough in order to really turn that market over. So I think we need to see this guy drop a little bit, and that will allow the S&P to move higher. And then back to your discussion, really interesting, over the last two weeks, if you look at the consumer discretionary and technology relative to the S&P turning up, um, staples, utilities, real estate is actually turning down. So you are seeing a push back into that. So three names that I'm looking at here, we've got Chevron. Oil up 6% today, just a really, really nice move up here. A little bit of a trigger here on this resistance. If we can get a push up through about 125 Chevron, I think is good. It's like a 3.8% yield in Chevron. Energy stock number one, going to technology. Cisco, really, really good here. We've got a little bit of a channel here. Can't quite get up through the 58 region here. Um, if we can really get that push up towards 3,000, I think Cisco will also break the range a little bit of a, a catch-up trade. And then finally, Tim just mentioned it, Home Depot. I think it's a big interest rate play with rates <coughs> dropping, move into 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 uh, home builders, home improvement. Home Depot is a big old huge top at two ten year. Um, I really like this stock up and through. I think if Home Depot can break through there, a lot of buy stops go off, especially if yields go down and the market stabilizes. I like uh, Home Depot up towards, up towards around uh, two forty. Broader market question, Todd. What levels do we need to uh, hit break in order for this 
rally to be convincing to you? In the S&P? Yeah. Uh, on the upside, I mean, I don't see why 3,000, uh, I should say, in the S&P. Um, we're, we're stones throw away. I mean, I really think 3,200 is the 12 to 24-month target. Emerging markets looks good. Dollar continues to be weak. I think, I really think we'll go up through 3,000. All right. Todd, thank you. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Uh, Tim mentioned HD. Todd mentioned HD. Guy? You want like Joker, Joker, and a triple? Well, we've, as you know, we've liked Home Depot on its desk since the Frank Blake days. Not Colonel Blake, Tim. Frank oh, Blake, if Colonel you recall, who ran yeah, that I shop like so Potter. successfully Actually, I was a Potter for a long guy. time. So I've lo- I-, I will stay with Home Depot. However, Cisco, he is correct. If you look at Cisco, it's been making this base at these levels for the last couple months. And much like Adobe has done recently, just building a base, that's what seems to be happening here. So I think Cisco can break out. I'd like to go off the board, though, for 500, for if I may, <laughs> and mention a stock that's going to play catch-up. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We said Freeport McMoran and FCX made a huge double bottom around that 10 level. Look at it now. And i got to tell you, if the Fed is going to continue to torch the currency, which hasn't right. happened yet, but it will... FCX is going higher. We haven't even talked about Iran and the drone strike today in relationship to oil and possibly a CVX position, Tim. Well, I think my my view on oil prices and the impact of supply disruption is that this is a sugar high. Um, I I really want this to be about demand. OPEC, if anything, has downgraded demand. I don't think oil prices are going to get away from the upside unless you get meaningful deterioration in the dollar, which I don't think we will. I think the dollar, um, which is, if anything, it's the biggest part of what we've been talking about. There's so many trades that revolve around the dollar. Um, But I think the dollar largely has to be range-bound. I'd rather own Chevron than any other integrated name because of the efficient way they run that balance sheet. Yeah, just real quickly, because I know you, you've been long. Hal, if you look at the OIH, that's the oil service, if you're yes. looking for some beta here, look at this thing. It looks yeah. like it really put in a massive double bottom, and you could get, if you do have this sort of disruption going forward, I suspect you see the OIH a little higher than here. Still ahead, Slack surging in its public debut today, the first big direct listing since Spotify last year. Is it shaping up to be the next hot stock? Plus, the Consumer Freedom Group launching a massive campaign warning about the chemicals in plant-based food products like Beyond Meat. The director of the group will be here to make the case. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Slack surging after making its public debut today up 50% as investors clamored for a piece of this messaging platform. Slack taking the same path as Spotify with a direct listing, which eliminates the need for underwriters. So, Dan, what'd you think? Uh, you know, fine debut. It wasn't messed up by any means. You know, this is a company that gave some guidance for the fiscal 2020. They're maybe going to do $600 million in revenue, growing at about 50% um, year over year. Okay, that's pretty good. I mean, listen, this is um, a company that I think the Valley is just convinced is going to be, you know, just changing the way work is done all over the globe. Um, the jury's still out on there. And just remember, they're losing money because they're competing with the likes of Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Cisco. I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't mean to be bearish uh, whatsoever on it. Let's see how the thing trades. It did not go the same through the same roadshow process that a lot of companies do that, that get more vetted. Um, let's see how it trades in the near term. Can I ask you a question about that? Sorry. So, you, I mean, because this was one of those deals that everybody owned who's out there, right? In other words, this is a deal that, as we know, they, they basically didn't have to underwrite because they were bringing, they were essentially bringing their own stock. There's a lot of supports. One of those deals that I think people in the Valley, people, the smartest people in this space have owned this company for yeah. a long time. Um, do you get the sense that 
they're the only ones that they've pushed this out there, and now we're the last buyer. Listen, Andreessen, Social Capital, they were early investors here. A lot of guys wanted to buy this. You know, Microsoft wanted to buy this company when it was a much smaller value. A lot of listen, I suspect they get bought at some point. This is a platform, and it is a very interesting platform. Yep. That being said, two years ago, AOL finally shut down their chat app. Remember Instant Message? We all used it for free for a very long time. They need to convert users, big enterprises, to be paying for this suite of services. All right, they shut that down? You still have yours. You okay, guy? <laughs> Speaking of public debuts, Beyond Meat has been one of the hottest IPOs this year. But one consumer group is warning that some of the chemicals found in fake meat products could stop your cravings cold. You might have seen their ads. In fact, on our air even, the group launching a full-fledged campaign warning these popular plant-based products could have traces of toxic chemicals, some of which have been linked to cancer. Joining us now is Brianne Kincaid, Research Director at the Center for Consumer Freedom. Brianne, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. What did you find and which products did you test? Yeah, so we actually looked at the ingredient list of um, about 80 separate plant-based items. Um, we found that broadly these products are actually very uh, highly processed. Uh, some of them contain as many as 50 individual ingredients. Several of them uh, are artificial. And one of our main cons- uh, concerns with these products is that people understand that processed food is perhaps not so good for you. Um, but when you start calling it plant-based, people think that they're swapping out their beef burger for a vegetable, and that's absolutely not the case. Which products specifically are you, are you pointing to? Because you, you sort of made it clear that it's not specifically Beyond Meat, that there are worse defenders that are out there uh, as options for consumers, and yet the ad makes it really look like it's Beyond Meat. So Beyond Meat uh, certainly has um, some items of concern. Um, I would say that pea protein isolate, which is uh, the bulk of their burger, um, it's not just peas that are ground up into the, uh, in, into the product. Um, they go through a very heavy manufacturing process. And while we can't know the exact process because it's proprietary, there are other companies, um, usually ones that use uh, soybeans, that through this process it's called extrusion. Um, in order to separate the, the protein from the fat, they'll run it through a solvent called hexane. Now hexane is recognized by the federal government as a neurotoxin. Um, it's thought to have uh, uh, impacts on reproductive health. Um, and there have been studies recently in the last several years that consumer groups will actually go to grocery stores, pick these items off of the shelves, um, test the residual hexane in them, mm-hmm. and find that the, the levels are actually higher than those allowed in the European Union. Okay. Um, and, you, and you guys point out that Morningstar, Gardena, these uh, names might be familiar to our viewers out there, are, are the worst offenders when it comes to some of these chemicals existing in the products that aren't necessarily good for you. Um, I'm wondering, who conducted the study and who is it funded by? I mean, it, I'm just trying to figure out if, if you guys have an axe to grind with this industry. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we actually started this campaign uh, without any funding. Uh, the Center for Consumer Freedom typically takes on issues where we feel like consumers are being misled. Um, so that's really what drove us to this. Uh, all of the, the research, um, I, I did most of it. I had some help. Um, we typically just uh, stuck to the nutrition labels, just the things that are um, easily accessible by consumers if they want to go and corroborate what we're telling them. But the, the bulk of our, our research really pointed to the idea that these, these products are processed and they're, they're being marketed as though they weren't. So you started this without any funding, and it, the presumption is that somewhere along the line you did get funding. Are you getting funding from uh, the meat lobby, for instance, from publicly traded meat companies? I mean, who's backing you now? So I, I can say that we don't uh, publicly disclose our donors. Um, I don't exactly know who's funding us. I'm not in the accounting department. I handle more of the research aspect of it. Um, 
but regardless of the funders, this the information that we put out, we put it out before we got any funding. Um, all of the information still stands independent of anyone who's interested in it. But someone is paying for those ads that are being plastered all over the air, so even the, on that, CNBC. So the ads, actually, everything that we've put out up until this point has actually been um, just us. Okay. Brianne, thanks for sharing the results. We appreciate it. Of course. All right. By the way, we did reach out to Beyond Meat. Uh, they had no comment. They are in a quiet period ahead of their earnings, so no comment from Beyond Meat. Um, what, you, you no, I, I think, no I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy she's bringing this to light, and she's right, and we brought this up when the stock was a $50 stock, so it hasn't mattered in terms of shareholder interest. Yeah. With that said, I don't, think pe- I don't think people are eating this thinking it's some healthy substitute. I think they're eating it because it's just flat out a meat substitute. There is a distinction. I think it's an important one, though. Why isn't every food company in the world able to create a meat substitute? I don't understand this. I really don't understand a multiple on something that, beyond meat, yes, they have a trademark. They have intellectual property. They have a brand. They don't have a secret sauce. This isn't, this isn't Coke special formula. This isn't you know, the secret sauce on the, on the Big Mac. I mean, this is, this is well, an alternative to a beef burger. it's all R&D right burger. now. I mean, it's just an R&D factory, and they see this, the total addressable market. For, I'm not supporting it. I'm just playing devil's advocate. And That's what you're investing in with a $10 billion but market cap. to Guy's right point, I mean, if the total, if, if you think that people who are buying this and consuming these products are vegetarians or people who don't eat meat in the first place, then all of a sudden your total addressable market goes way down. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Then if you're thinking that it's a healthy alternative to right. meat. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a problem. I, I wouldn't eat it if I didn't think that it was healthy. I've ordered an impossible burger at a restaurant and I did it because I thought it was healthy. So I think it's an issue. And with shares up 150%, you actually have the lockup period for the initial IP. IPO expiring in October. So you have these valuations. You have shareholders who initially held the stock who can now flood the market with shares. I don't like it at these levels at all. Coming up, Apple warning that a new round of tariffs on China would be disastrous for business. We'll tell you just how bad they think it could get. Shares of Canopy Growth, meantime, lighting up this year as the best-performing hot stock. We're waiting for earnings from the company any moment. We'll bring you the latest details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple speaking out strongly against the next round of proposed tariffs on goods imported from China in a letter released today, saying it would result in a reduction of Apple's U.S. economic contribution and weigh in the company's global competitiveness and urging U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer not to proceed. Now, Apple, of course, not the only company, the U.S. company, in the crosshairs of potential China tariffs. Caterpillar CEO Jim Umpleby sat down with Jim Cramer to explain how the company is navigating in this environment. We've navigated trade tensions in our 94-year history. This is not new for us. But again, we're really operating the company in a different way. We uh, introduced, again, that new enterprise strategy, and and we set some targets out for ourselves in our 2017 Investor Day about improving operating margins. And pleased to say that the Caterpillar team achieved or exceeded those margins last year. So are these trade-sensitive companies really prepared if the trade war drags on or more pain to come? Guys? No, I don't, think pre- I don't think they're prepared at all. I mean, especially Apple's up. For the Apple to send that letter knowing full well they're going to incur the wrath of the president at some point, it says to me they're not prepared. And Caterpillar, by the way, made an all-time high a year and a half, two years ago. And this is a stock that within its and an all-time high has been floundering. So I don't think they're prepared either. I don't think a trade deal is getting done. I've said that for a long time. I'm going to stand by that. I think with each passing day, we get further and further away. I think the Chinese are stringing us out. I could be proven wrong, but I think that's where we stand right now. 
Yeah, you know, Apple's just obviously in the middle of this, the eye of the storm on so many different levels. Obviously, Tim Cook has gone back and forth between China and the White House. Um, you know, they obviously have issues about disruption as far as their supply chain. They have issues on demand. Um, you know, they have pricing power if they actually have to raise prices. So to me, you know, Apple's had a really nice run here um, up to $200. I'm not sure I'd be buying it for new highs uh, until this result. I like it here, and I like it because I think, first of all, we've, we've decoupled at least the, the, the one brand sell trade on it being a trade war stock. I realize China's a big deal. I think the bigger deal for them is the App Store. Uh, like, if, if the App Store is no longer the place you have to go, I think that's something to be worried about. But, but the, the, the service is multiple. Whatever portion of their business you want is something you have to consider here. The stock's not expensive. All right, you can catch Kramer's full interview with the Caterpillar CEO, Jim Umbleby. That's uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right after fast. Now, semiconductors may be surging right now, but they've been subject to many trade-sensitive swings as tensions heat up. And options traders are betting on more pain ahead for one name when it reports earnings next week. So, Dan, what are you watching? Yeah, so this is Micron. Um, They haven't confirmed the date yet, but they generally report the last week of June, so we're expecting it there. Total options volume was one and a half average daily volume today. And there was an interesting trade when the stock was trading about 34 bucks. Um, shortly after noon, there was a buyer of 10,000 of the July 33.25 put spreads paying um, $1.40 for those. Those break even at 31.60. Their max gain is down um, at 25 bucks. Again, that's out to July expiration. And what just why this caught my eye is that obviously we had that big um, downgrade in guidance from Broadcom last week. They specifically cited um, headwinds from uh, demand in China. And so Micron is a stock that is literally, what, it's up a few percent just in the last couple of weeks off of these lows that it really, at six-month lows here, look at that one-year chart, or that's the year-to-date, it's kind of banging along the bottom there, and it's down 25% from those highs in the spring. And one reason why this trader, maybe it's protection, or maybe it's targeting um, a breakdown lower, look at the five-year chart of this thing, 32 to 30 bucks seems like a very, very big um, long-term technical level here. So obviously this Micron if they report next week, the options market is implying about an 8% move in either direction. That's pretty hefty. This is going to be a very, very closely watched um, report. So in terms of earnings estimates for the S&P 500, Jeff, are you, are you, do you have the sense that it includes a potential tariff impact, further impact, or no? Or I, I, don't, I don't think so at, at this stage. I think it actually does include some sort of deal getting done. I mean, look at where earnings estimates have been for the entire year. You've been somewhere between 168 and 170. They really haven't moved. So I think you are pricing in some sort of positive outcome on trade. I don't think the conversation at the G20 is going to lead to some sort of breakthrough. What I do think it does is reduce the probability of further escalation. So I think that's what the market has reacted to thus far. But um, I don't think earnings have reacted yet. Well, I'd look at 2020, and I think consensus is around $185, $186. That really has not come in yet. And and I think, you know, that would be the place, if if we're really looking at a forward multiple anyway, that that people should be concerned. But, But it gets back to... Do, do we really care about the multiple right now, the S&P, in this environment? I don't, I, I don't think that's what you should be looking at. All right. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, shares of canopy growth blazing this year. Mm. Wall Street braces for the pot giant's earnings report. We'll tell you what to expect, what it could signal for the red-hot cannabis space. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Canopy Growth. Somebody can turn their phone down. It's Dan. Um, it's Dan. Of, thank you, Dan. One of the hottest pot stocks this year, up more than 60%. Just yesterday got the approval from shareholders to acquire cannabis company Acreage Holdings when the U.S. legalizes marijuana. And we are expecting Canopy to report earnings at any moment. So let's go to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with more on what to expect. Aditi. 
A lot of anticipation. That, that's right, Melissa. Investors will be looking closely at Canopy's top-line growth, but also for any color on its production capacity and its ability to meet demand. The Canadian market has been dealing with shortages and companies have struggled to scale up. Cowan says Canopy is the market leader in the country with 20% market share, but the Canadian legal market expected to reach just under a billion dollars this year is still relatively small. For instance, a legal market in California is expected to reach 3 billion or just under 3 billion this year. So investors will also be looking for any numbers on Canopy's revenues in countries outside Canada. By the end of the year, Canada's market will be also expanding to things like edibles and beverages. So we'll be looking for any guidance on how Canopy plans to meet that demand and also address some of the regulations which were just released on things like packaging and dosing of those items. Investors will also be looking to see if Canopy will leverage its partnership with Constellation Brands for products in this category. Canopy's co-CEO Bruce Linton has expressed support in the past for an infused sports recovery drink, for instance. And finally, we'll be looking for any color on the company's U.S. strategy. You talked about this, how late yesterday the company's shareholders approved that deal with Acreage. Under the deal, Canopy would have the right to purchase Acreage if the U.S. legalizes cannabis. Investors will be also looking for any comments on Canopy's hemp operations in New York and several other states. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Um, just a warning, I think the last quarter, Canopy didn't result, uh, report results until like 7 p.m. Or, I mean, pretty late, but we're yeah, expecting them. We're expecting them, and last quarter they lost about $75 million of an EBITDA. I mean, that's not what you're looking for. And, and, and in terms of, I'm not really even looking to hear how they're going to ramp up uh, supply in Canada, because frankly, that's not really the story here, even though that's the detail we're probably going to get. We're going to hear about their 5 million uh, square foot acres and how that's going to grow. I think uh, the, the story in the U.S., first of all, it is exciting that they're building a, essentially a CBD empire, that they are going to continue to, look, the partnership with Acreage is part of, uh, you know, I, I think laying down that footprint. Congratulations to those guys. They sat on this desk the night they did that merger. Uh, they got that merger done. And if you look actually at the at the arbitrage between the two companies, I mean, Acreage looks pretty darn cheap here. Um, you know, if you, it's about 45 shy to where uh, it should be trading at the deal price on the ratios that they announced. So I think that's something interesting. Bottom line here is this is the largest company in the world with the, the, the big brother that everyone would love to have. I'm not saying every other LP or multi-state operator in the United States would it would do a deal tomorrow with these guys, but production distribution, what it's all about in this industry right now. Yep. All right. Up next, we've got the final trades. Check out shares of Beyond Meat down after hours. This after our interview with the Center for Consumer Freedom, which warns of chemicals, dangerous chemicals in um, some products, including Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat, we should say, uh, had no comment when we did reach out. For more on this, you can check out CNBC.com. But right now, down by more than 3.5%. We should point out, um, and we've been getting some criticism, we pushed back in terms of where they got their funding. They say they got no funding from industry groups, from lobby groups. But the executive director of the Consumer uh, Freedom Research Group, um, is also the head of a PR firm. And so there is some questions about the motivations of this group. They say there's been no funding, though, uh, from the big meat industry. Final trade time. Tim. Yeah, in terms of big names in the world out there. Look, Google to me is a company that right now also can be defensive in a market where if you're looking for growth, they're, that's not the issue. They're giving you 21%. They're giving you good numbers 20 times multiple. Jeff Mills. We are buyers of emerging markets here. The chart's looking a little bit better. The U.S. dollar is rolling over and relative valuations are good. We like emerging markets. Dan. Yeah, Flash Gordon was on fire tonight. Um, I really like that Cisco plan that for a breakout. Okay. It's a fun show. It really was good a good time. Fun show. It was a good time, right? 
Uh, Always. Exxon yeah. Mobil, first time in a while it has not made a lower low. I think Exxon Mobil is going higher, Tim. That does okay. See you back here tomorrow. Nice Five track. more fast. Bad money starts right now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.